we're doing shaking Qigong, we are literally shaking that old energy off our body into Mother Earth, letting Mother Earth transform it. That's the Earth's job. At the same time as we're shaking, we're not only shaking off old energy, we're opening up those walls of energy that we put up around ourselves. Well, I'm going to be this way and I'm going to be that way. We shake off these things that will cage us in, so to speak, to unite and connect with that universal energy. So we're able to bring in that fresh, clear universal energy. And that also helps to wash away that old trauma. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the field of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. This episode with C.T. Holman delivered so much more than I ever expected. Yes, we talk about his newest book, Shamanism in Chinese Medicine. Yes, we talk about his older book, Treating Emotional Trauma with Chinese Medicine. And yes, we even talk about the inspirations for these two books. These discussions alone would have made for a great episode, but here are a few things I did not know about C.T. This guy can really teach, which he does throughout this episode. He has played in punk rock bands most of his life, and he is instantly likable, to a nearly ridiculous level. CT's expertise and range in Chinese medicine is phenomenal, and I took great pleasure in the opportunity to ask him dozens of questions and to even get a mini facial diagnosis. We explore sacred drumming from Africa, many forms of shamanism, trauma-based approaches to healing, and Qigong. CT runs a successful private practice called Redwood Spring in Salem, Oregon. He also teaches seminars internationally, mentors students in his clinic and virtually, and has a host of e-courses on his website. He studied in China three times and integrates the specialties of facial diagnosis, channel palpation, five element diagnosis, and diagnosis and treating trauma. He has been a drummer for over 35 years and teaches shamanic drumming. This episode with C.T. Holman was incredibly fun to record, and I think you will quickly fall in sync with the rhythm of his humor and teachings. Please enjoy. C.T., welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you so much, Todd. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. As we were just talking before we hit record here, I first came across you a few months ago when Singing Dragon sent me a press release about your new book, Shamanism in Chinese Medicine. And instantly, I knew I had to reach out with you or reach out to you to try to get you on the podcast because both of those things are are very near and dear to me. And then as it so happened a month ago, I was prepping for my podcast interview with uh, what turned out to be a, a mutual friend of ours, Jason Robertson, and I was reading through the forward, or not the forward, the acknowledgments in his textbook, and there was your name. And of course, I learned that you were a classmate of his, and you were influential in in helping him with his book and and throughout his career. So we have a few things to discuss, as as well as a lot more, I'm sure. Great. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm so, I was to say, I'm so grateful for Singing Dragon to put out this book, Shamanism and Chinese Medicine. And the topic has not had that much press, really, even in China. And so it really comes through my studies with Master Wu. And so I'm very grateful for him as a teacher. I'm also grateful to have Dr. Wang Ju Yi as a teacher. Both Jason and I studied with Dr. Wang Ju Yi from the beginning, like in the, well, not the beginning, from the uh, early, late 90s. And um, yeah, we went to school together, Dr. Uh, Jason and I, and we lived in China together. And Dr. Wang um, is amazing. And it was so great for Jason to translate his life's work um, because Jason's so good at expressing and to show Dr. Wang's um, just amazing breadth of the medicine. And I was very grateful to somebody who kind of helped with that book a little bit with the editing and contributing case studies. But Dr. Wong, um, he was an amazing practitioner and created a lot of magic on his own. Even though he never talked about shamanism, there was a lot of magic that happened through his diagnostic technique with his fingers and also with, of course, his treatment results. Hmm. Well, let's jump into shamanism. I like me, I imagine most people are familiar with shamanism from various cultures, South American cultures perhaps, or African cultures, but as part of Chinese medicine, I'm basically completely ignorant of the role of shamanism. So I would love to dive into that and learn more about it. Yeah, thank you, Todd. I really was in your same boat. When I was finishing up school, I was interested in the magic. I wanted to know more about these magical indigenous ways. And I lived for a year in Flagstaff, Arizona, where I had the opportunity, I could have studied with a shaman there from the Hopi um, Indian nation, Hopi Native American nation, Hopi indigenous nations, like the best term. And, but I thought, no, you know, I, I don't want to mix modalities too much. I want to keep it true to the, you know, the medicine I've studied. And so I just kind of put it on hold. I've been interested in shamanism since a little kid. I had my grandmother actually embroider me a Hopi shaman when I was like seven years old. So it was interesting. I ended up on the Hopi, really? uh, Hopi nation um, to do, I was doing treatments actually on Hopi. Um, but I just put it on hold and I knew about the yeah, South American shamans and all this kind of thing. And I knew there is, there's a connection between all the indigenous peoples in a certain way, but certainly I wanted to try to find the Chinese medicine roots. So I waited and I waited and I waited. And then about 10 years into my career, I was looking on this meditation website and I saw this uh, picture of this gentleman, Master Zhongshan Wu, and it said, you know, Chinese shamanic Qigong. It's like, whoa, what's that? So of <laughs> course I registered and that's when I first started studying with Master Zhongshan Wu, who is from China and he studied literally in the caves of China. He holds the lineage of the Mount Emei Shamanic School and also um, the Dragon Gate sect from the Zhongnan Mountains. And so that was really what opened me up to start to study Chinese shamanism. Interesting. And can you talk a bit about what Chinese shamanism is? What it means to me, I mean, in any indigenous culture, there's going to be many approaches to something. So there's many actually types of shamans in Asia and in China. And the shamanic practices I'm speaking about are not necessarily like the ones you hear about in Mongolia, where they're climbing the tree of life and they're going into these trance-like states. They sometimes consume a lot of alcohol. This is a different style. Um, the Chinese shamanism that I'm speaking about here is done through connecting to the spirit spirit world, so to speak, 
but done through your intention, through your breath, through body movement. It's not doing any um, hallucinogenics or any chemical interaction, nothing like that. And what I have kind of narrowed down the definition as best I can understand it is someone who is observing the laws of nature, following the universal energy changes, understanding how those changes affect our personal bodies, our cultivation practices, and then how do we use that information to treat others, to understand the nature and pattern of disease, and using that information to apply different methods. It could be incantations, it could be drumming, it could be uh, talismans. And then what I've started to do is apply the shamanic symbolism ideas to acupuncture, Chinese herbs, um, this kind of thing. So in your practice, are you using shamanistic techniques? Yes. Okay. So the techniques that I would use that you could say were shamanic based would be things like incantations, uh, healing sounds, drumming. You know, I've got my drum here today. I don't know if this is going to come through the microphone or not. Sounds good. You heard the drum. All right. So, uh, yeah, I use the drumming. So these are the more, I would say, and then also shamanic Qigong. And so people are like, what's shamanic Qigong? Like, isn't it all Qigong the same? Well, Master Wu, what he's teaching is he's incorporating the shamanic understanding of the different symbolism of the five elements, um, the, the idea of the universe, and using these energetics in the Qigong. So the shamanic Qigong is teaching us is coming through many lineage, it's coming through a lineage, but for many generations. And so this is the ancient information that's been passed down. Now we know Qigong is a modern term. However, it's um, the idea of that internal alchemy. So I use those practices and then I apply this symbolism to my, you know, traditional Chinese medicine practice. It would be like using acupuncture, herbs, this kind of thing. So a lot of shamanic practices are very ritualistic and there's a set and a setting and often it's a prolonged event. Are you able to integrate shamanic healing into your practice in a much simpler fashion or are you setting up a, a fairly involved set for your, for your patients? That's a great question. So I actually have a whole chapter in my book about the healing space. And there's techniques that you can do to prepare a healing space. There's things you can do to cleanse a healing space. What I've learned from Master Wu is it is important to have cultivation. You, I, I cultivate every day. I do Qigong three times a day. So when I first get up in the morning, I shower and then I do a whole uh, Qigong practice. I do cosmic orbit Qigong and then some other Qigong techniques as well, or I should say practices as well. Then I get to the clinic, <coughs> open it up. And before I even have people come in, I, this is my own personal practice. I lie down and I do this uh, Qigong that's called Tugunashin. It's bringing in the energies of all the directions to the organs, to me, to the clinic. And in the sense, calling in the ancestors of Chinese medicine. So that's one of my rituals that I do. And then I start seeing patients. Now I see three people an hour, so it's a busy practice. With COVID, it's a little bit less busy, but still uh, I see three people an hour and I'm able to still create that space. I think it's very important to have a healing space. However, that said, I don't think it needs to be so focused on the external. What can happen a lot of times in any practice is people become so focused on the external, they forget about the internal. If your internal space is established 
I don't care what space I'm in. I could be in uh, a supermarket. I could be in a bar. I could be in a room in China when I worked in this one clinic where there was a TV playing and there was radio on and people were talking and coming and going. There was somebody's cooking food in the corner and there were three <laughs> or four people all in one room getting treatment. It doesn't necessarily, I don't believe you have to have a hard and fast way. I think it's very important to do cultivation. I think without cultivation, forget about it. In any, if, even if you're not doing shamanic medicine, it doesn't matter. Even in Chinese medicine, it's traditional Chinese medicine or classical Chinese medicine, you need to do cultivation. And I remember one of my teachers, um, uh, Dr. Wu, this is a different teacher, my internal medicine teacher at the American College of TCM, said, you have to do Qigong to do Chinese medicine. It's like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, whatever you say. But then I started doing my, you know, I started opening my practice, started seeing patients, started seeing more than one person an hour, started, you know, getting pretty busy. I realized, wow, I need to have cultivation to stay centered. If you aren't centered, your treatments, I don't care what kind of treatment you're doing, your treatments are not going to be as effective. So I think there is that idea of having your healing space established. And then, of course, you want a space that's welcoming, nurturing, professional, people feel safe in. But it's, I think it's really more an internal practice than having like, oh, I have this, this crystal set there and this you know, drum over here. And I don't think that that's as important. So you're using your own internal cultivation to set your intentions for the treatment day. Is that correct? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I do feng shui. I do. My clinic is set up in a way that has, I think has good flow. Um, it's very clean. It's not, uh, you know, we keep the energy very clear in here through my cultivation, through external. So I talk also in the book about uh, cleansing techniques there's internal cleansing techniques and external cleansing techniques. So with all my teachers, I would always ask them, what do I do to make sure I don't take on people's energy? And this is before I was even doing, you know, more like a shamanic based type of idea. And I should just clarify, Todd, that when I, my practice, I do use shamanic based techniques. I also practice TCM. I also practice classical Chinese medicine. I also utilize research-based medicine. I don't think it has to be one or the other. There seems to be a really interesting um, diversive nature sometimes with our medicine. We're like, oh, well, that person only practices classical or that person's doing a TCM thing, so forget them. Like, I don't understand any of that. I think we all the aspects have something to bring to the medicine. So I'd always ask my different teachers. I had TCM teachers. I had classical Chinese medicine teachers, of course, shamanic teachers. I said, what do I do to keep, make sure I don't take on people's energy? And, you know, different teachers would tell me different things. Like you could burn sage in the clinic. You can burn Palo Santo. You can have salt uh, lamps. You could have salt, you know, sprinkled in the corners of the clinic. You can imagine, you know, cleansing your hands and wringing them out in the air. You can go walk on the earth. You can uh, do drumming in the clinic, do rattles. Of course, I did all that stuff because I want to make sure it was all doing, you know, it was keeping all this clean energy. But I asked Master Wu, that was one of the first questions I asked him. He said, my teachers didn't talk at all about that. I was like, wait, what? What are you talking about? You didn't, they didn't mention anything about like, how do you not take on energy? He said, no, there's a classic quote in the Neijing that they would always mention. If your true energy is held within, if your Zheng Qi is held within, Xie Qi, evil Qi, cannot enter. And it's as simple as that. If you have your spirit fully embodied, that's why I talked about that healing space within us, if your space is present and you are present and you are grounded, you are centered, 
there's no negative energy that's going to come into you or really in a lot of ways come into your healing space. You're establishing this, you know, healing light energy that is part of you, part of your treatments, part of your space. And so in the book, I talk about these internal cleansing techniques, which, you know, that's the idea of having your Jung Chi within. And there's four corrects that Master Wu taught me to go with that. There's your correct posture. You know, we've been taught many times by our teachers, don't hunch over when you're doing acupuncture. Don't be in some weird pretzel position when you're trying to do a, you know, do a point. You want to make sure you're upright because you don't want to leak your energy. And then another correct is your breath. We've heard this a zillion times by many teachers, you know, have your breath, root your breath and do full breathing. So that one. And then presence. Of course, we've heard that. You want to be present. We hear that from many teachers. So being present in the room, not thinking about what you have to get at the grocery store later that day or what did that person say to me this morning? I got cut off when I was driving to work. Like being present. And then your last one is your intention. What's your intention for this treatment? Are you trying to um, get a bunch of money or get famous or make this person your friend? Or are you trying to help them? I know all of us are trying to help people, but those are those intentions. So if you have those corrects, your energy is full within. You're not leaking your energy. You're not thinking about something else that's leaking your energy away. You're not trying to grasp at something that leaks your energy away. So if your energy is full, then there's no need to worry about, oh my gosh, I'm going to take on this person's energy and this kind of thing. That's great advice. That's going to be so helpful to practitioners out there. I've got so many questions now that I want to ask you. So I'm just taking okay. notes because I want to make sure I get through them. You've talked a bit about your practice. Let's talk a little bit more about it. So you're in Oregon, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so you're treating three patients an hour. You put some intention and some effort into having a clinic space that you feel has good feng shui. Are you during these treatments, of course, I'm presuming you're overlapping patients. You're not just doing 20-minute treatments. Right. Correct. Yes. Okay. So yes. there's overlap. Are you doing introducing any sort of sound healing in these? Are you doing drumming or incantations or chanting? Yes. So in the practice, I'm in Salem, Oregon. I've been here for almost 20 years and I love it. It's a great community. At first I came here kind of kicking and screaming. I grew up in Los Angeles. I was born in Hollywood actually, and then lived in San Francisco, lived in Santa Barbara and lived in Flagstaff. So I lived in these like really kind of high prolific, fun tourist type towns. Came to Salem. This is not a tourist town at all. It's very much <laughs> people have been here for generations. It's amazing. But um, I came here thinking what I want is my practice. My intention was I wanted to practice kind of old style where I was like a family doctor kind of thing where I would see all ages, all walks of life, all different kinds of conditions. And I'd be in an old house. And this was my vision. And so fortunately, this vision came true. I, the first person I met in town was a practitioner in the building that I'm actually in now. And it's an old house. It was well by, by the Western United States old. this 1910. Right. Uh, but it's a, you know, old house cottage style. It's very much very, you know, it's very, of course, homey and very relaxed, but it's, it's beautiful. They've, the landlords have kept it up beautifully. So I have you know, three treatment rooms. I see patients and what I do is I spend time with them. I always sit down. I always look them in the eye. We talk about what's going on for them. Then I use um, many diagnostic techniques. I use facial diagnosis, which is one of my main ones. I use spirit diagnosis. I sense their spirit. Feel what the spirit energy is. What is the green dragon energy like in them? What is that red phoenix doing? Like this kind of information. 
Then I do pulse diagnosis. I use the Shen Hammer pulse diagnostic system that I've studied with many years for Brian LaForge and also Brant Stickley. I use channel palpation, which of course comes from Dr. Wang Juyi, and um, I use that. I also use tongue diagnosis. So I do all these diagnostics, and I feel for all those diagnostic techniques, I can get picture of someone's you know, branch, but also their root conditions, their constitution, and their karmic path. I try to go for that as well. Understand that, then I do acupuncture. Then a lot of times, yes, I will do drumming over them. So I actually have this frame drum that I play over patients. And the needles act like antenna. It's really cool. They receive that vibrational energy and then it opens up the channels. It activates organs. I do different rhythms for different organ systems. I do chanting. I sometimes use healing sounds that I learned from Master Wu. And then I let them rest. So people are usually having the needles in for 30, 45 minutes. And then I go to the next room. I'll be honest, Todd, I do not do drumming for everyone. I do not do incantations for everyone. It depends. And it's just, you know, patient by patient. But I'm always utilizing that ancient symbolism from the shamans who influenced our medicine, who influenced the Huangdi Neijing, who influenced and were the roots of Chinese culture up until the early 1900s. I'm using that information. So you do different drumming rhythms for different organs. Is this intuitive or have you been taught this? I was taught it by my teacher, Toby Christensen. And he, had, he developed these five element drum beats along with his teacher, Maladoma Somme. Now, Maladoma Somme comes from the Dagra tribe in Africa. Wait, pump the brakes. What is this now, Africa? <laughs> so I heard that he was doing these five element drumming. I was like, this is cool. I want to check this out. So I went inside with Toby. And he studied um, for many years with the Dagra tribe in West Africa. And his main teacher is Melodoma Somme. And they do very complex rhythms in African drumming. You know, this African, West Africa is where we think a lot of the drum beats, like a lot of drumming was born. And so I was like, okay, I want to check out these five elements. This is interesting. We have five elements of Chinese medicine. How does this relate? So I went and studied with Toby. He taught us the five element drum beats. And then he talked about each element. It's like, wait a second, this sounds a lot like the, talk about the water element. Well, the water element has this deep rooted, this deep uh, uh, mysterious energy. It relates to the kidneys. Um, it relates to the urinary bladder. And, you know, started talking about the, the numbers were one and six. I was like, this is incredible. This is exactly the numerology, the symbolism, the ancient five elements that I've learned from Master Wound from Lillian. And I started looking at the medicine wheel, same direction, same animal energy, same, it was exactly the same. I'm not kidding. The only thing that was different was the fingers or spirit, each in um, spirit level, there's a spirit level, a way of looking at the body. So we know um, the channels, the, the acupuncture channels flow along the body. Um, but the, the fingers can represent different spirits. And anyways, the, there was two spirits that were different, the heart and the water. So sorry, the fire and the water, those spirit fingers were different. Otherwise, everything was exactly the same. And so I was like, well, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to try these rhythms. And I've been doing these rhythms for now um, at least 10 years. And um, try them out. Okay, what does it feel like to me? How do they feel in my body? Well, uh, there's one rhythm. I don't know if the drum's going to translate. It usually gets cut out on Zoom. So I'm going to do this one rhythm. Let's, let's try it. Let's try it? Okay. Yeah. Can you hear me? 
I can hear you. Did it cut it, out? It did. We had about 10 good seconds and then it cut okay. out. I don't so know what why. that rhythm is, it's the metal rhythm. And it relates to the metal tiger of the West. It relates to the lung, the large intestine. The reason why I'm playing that beat is because here in the Northern Hemisphere, we're of course in the heavenly stem of sheen, yin metal. It's the white tiger time of year. So I'm using this drum beat a lot to help people let go and release. So the drum beat is boom, boom, ba, 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 boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, 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 boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, 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 boom, boom, ba. It's a very orderly beat. It's a very clean beat. It's letting go. It's cutting away. So I thought that makes sense. And this is exactly, by the way, how they would describe it by the Dogra tribe. So that makes sense exactly by the um, Chinese medicine. There's another beat, the earth, uh, sorry, well, the earth beat is another one, which I have on my website. If you guys are interested, if you go to my website, redwoodspring.com, on the free media tab, there's the earth drum beat, which I think is very helpful, especially as we go back to the earth time in October coming up to get us centered and settled to get ready for the winter time. At any rate, then there's the, there's the dragon beat, which I tend to really go for. I love this beat. It's the Joker beat. It's the spring to life. It's the thundering energy. Um, so uh, there's all these different beats. They relate to different organs and how they shake things up and how they really activate that organ energy. So, okay, I learned those beats. I started playing them for my Qigong class. I used to teach a weekly Qigong class here in Salem. And I'd play those beats and we would do five element Qigong and people would see if they could feel it in their bodies. Well, they did. Then I taught at Rothenburg and I was asked to teach the five element drum beats to Rothenburg. And so I brought my drum out. I played the drum. I had people, you know, embody that energy, see what they felt in their body. I can talk, 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 talk about what these things are supposed to do. It's about experiencing it. So I played the beats and people would say, yeah, I could feel that earth beat in my spleen or I felt my liver really vibrating with the wood drum beat or whatever it was. And it was, it's been really interesting. So, I have a very, I have a hypothesis. I have no way to prove this. But the one difference between the Dagra tribe and Chinese classical ancient Chinese medicine is in ancient Chinese medicine, we, we begin with the water element, right? On the medicine wheel, we begin with water and then we go around the wheel. In the Dagra tribe, they, they begin with fire. They believe everything began with fire. Now you can go on and on about what's, what really started. You know, we came out of the water or there's the big bang theory, the explosion. Who knows, right? We can't say for sure. But I think it's interesting. This is my hypothesis. I believe there was a group of people in Africa who said, well, no, I think it started with water. We're leaving. We're going to go north, which is the water direction, go to China, establish themselves in China, and start a whole new medicine with that same medicine wheel. So that's my hypothesis, Todd. I can't prove it, but I think it's kind of interesting. So, so the hypothesis is that the direction of flow of, of the five element knowledge went from Africa to China Correct. versus coming from China via explorers into Africa. Exactly. Because these are ancient, hmm. these are ancient practices of the Dagra tribe and it's been passed on down through the lineage. And we know, we, we know we all come from Africa, right? In some level. So um, that's just my little, that's my little take anyway. So yes, that's where these rhythms come from. And I have a CD that I've made of these rhythms. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on iTunes. It's called Resonating Vitality. I thought that'd be a good name because we're using resonation to bring that vitality, to really bring the vitality back to the organs, to bring the vitality back of the spirit. And when I do these rhythms, 
I see the changes. Like I have uh, in my, in both my books, I have a book on treating emotional trauma that came out on singing dragon as well. And in that book and in my shamanism, Chinese medicine, I have case studies. Fortunately, they're picture, uh, um, color pictures of different patients going through treatments. You can see their changes. And this is that magic of the universe that's happening for them. It's, and, and it's not me that's doing it. I don't think any of the changes that happen in my clinic are from me. I'm merely guiding the ling, the magic of the universe, guiding that to them for their transformation and their change. Ooh, I'm really enjoying this. This is great. So I did a lot of my training in Sri Lanka. And at the time I was there, there was an archaeological find of the Balangoda Man, which was this ancient tribe and they they started to find a few bodies in this cave and they located what they think were acupuncture points marked on the bodies and then they started to find in the burial sites implements that could have been used for acupuncture such as this was many years ago that i was involved in this but I, i believe like stones and bones sharpened stones and bones wow and there are these ancient ola leaf manuscripts of acupuncture being used on elephants. And still to this day, the elephant caretakers in Sri Lanka carry a long, carry a long staff with a, pr- a point on the end, a little prod, which they will use not uh, maliciously, but very gently on certain points to get the elephant to behave or respond in different ways. And so the theory at the time when I was there, and I don't know if this has been proven or disproved, but that may have been a co-originating origin ground of acupuncture. Maybe it was the original, but that's kind of uh, a moot point. But it seemed that the information, the knowledge was traveling along the Silk Route via traders. And so it went into China or it came from China and maybe it went down to Northern Africa or maybe it came from Northern Africa. So we don't really know, I don't think, but there's this evidence of acupuncture and, and five element and Chinese type of medicine. And then of course, in, in India, there's Ayurvedic also with the elements. So there's this evidence of this cohesion in so many different cultures. And I just think it's fascinating. So I'm really happy to hear about that link that you've brought up from, from Africa. That's, I was not aware of that. Yeah. And again, this is just a hypothesis. This is, I have nothing to base this on. Oh, yeah, of course. But I think that is interesting. I think there is an interesting thread between a lot of the indigenous medicine. I think they all created their own focus in a way and their own approach. I mean, South um, American shamanism is quite different from Chinese shamanism. From what I understand, I don't have a, a strong background in South American shamanism, but I've watched documentaries and read books about, but there are some cohesive threads there. And um, there's a really interesting book called the healing drum uh, by Michael Harner. And he talks about these different rhythms that he's learned from the South American shamans and different ways of helping someone do their guiding And I use that very similar rhythm, the shamanic journey rhythm, so to speak. It's just very steady. It's just boom, 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 boom. We've heard this rhythm many times in different walks of life. But you can use that rhythm. And it's. I think it's interesting because it does go throughout many cultures. China uses it for sure. 
It's used in Africa. It's used in the Americas and indigenous populations in the Americas. And it's something that I was thinking, well, how, how is that? Why would that happen? And I was thinking, what's the first sound that we hear as humans? It's the heartbeat of our mother in the womb. And then we hear our own heartbeat. So when I do this shamanic journey beat, which I use a lot for patients who, you know, they could have been traumatized. It could be that they have indigestion issues. They could have anything, but it's helping them to get back into their body, to connect with mother earth energy and to feel centered, to feel cared for, to feel that like it's like a cyber hug, so to speak. It's like this air hug where they feel nurtured and they feel cared for and it's interesting that so many cultures have that. And you always wonder, well, how did that, was it, you know, through trade? Was it through travel? Or was it just something that people had that vision at the same time? You know, that collective consciousness. It's hard to say, but I, I really find drumming is one of the very helpful modalities. And I think it works great in conjunction with what we'd consider traditional Chinese medicine. So I'm really resonating with, everything you're saying. And I, I want to go into more detail on a lot of it. Uh, and the only reason I don't think we can go in, I don't think we can go into more detail in all of it. I just want to mention for the listeners, anyone who's interested in learning more about channel palpation, check out the interview that I did with Jason Robertson. It was a great discussion on what channel palpation is. Uh, I would love to talk more about pulse diagnosis CT, but I'm going to have Brant Stickley coming on the show. Uh, awesome. Maybe as early as next week. So I'll, I'll save that for him because you just have so many other areas. I'm, I wanted to learn a bit more about, you mentioned one of the things you use is spirit diagnosis. And you, rec and you, you said, I believe, the green dragon and the phoenix. Can you talk a bit more about what that is? Yes. So this is something that I've found that I've started to do just intuitively through my studies with Master Wu and through Lillian Bridges. They both taught me so much about spirit. In school, we're not really taught too much about spirit, at least in my experience. Um, maybe more now they are, but it seems over the years, more and more the medicine and, all, and the populations in general have become really enamored with the physical th physical things you know looking at the cells looking at all things very you know taking it down to a very um physical level and the spirit is lost like i said shamanism has been part of china up until the early 1900s so up until the early 1900s not only in like uh daily life people hanging up talismans and doing chanting but even in medicine there's a uh, medical textbooks i found a a passage from an unshold book that was talking about uh, a passage from a ophthalmological text back in the 1800s where there was this point prescription for a certain eye condition and they were putting talismans on the acupuncture needles. So shamanism has been in Chinese medicine for many years, not just up until the, uh, up until like the Sha or Shang dynasty. It was been it's throughout. And it was within Chinese medicine. It was not a separate thing. It was very much just part of the medicine because they'd be thinking about the spiritual aspect. Then, of course, in the 1900s, culture revolution, the spiritual aspect really went out the window. Chinese medicine adopted more of a Western model, which I think is fine in a lot of ways. It's great, but the spirit has been lost in a lot of ways. So through study with Master Wu and Lillian Bridges, who, interestingly enough, don't practice acupuncture, but do a lot of work on the spirit level. 
I was in using their information they taught me to then understand patients' constitutions, understand patients' imbalances. So yeah, I talked about that, the green dragon energy. What is that? So the green dragon energy is of the Eastern direction. It relates to the liver, it relates to the gallbladder. It's the springtime, it's that springing of life. It's the thunder of the ground as the seeds break through the soil and climb up to the sun. It's that pioneering energy where the plants are moving forward and growing. And it's that direct intense energy where that, that seed, it's going nowhere but towards the sun. It is just going, it's doing, it's moving, it's doing this forward motion. So that's the energetic of some of the energetics of that green dragon that's moving up. The drumbeat, by the way, is boom, bap, bap, ba, boom, boom, bap, ba, da, boom, ba, bap, bap, ba, boom, boom, bap. This really kind of fun, lively joker energy where you want to dance, like boom, ba, bap, bap, ba, boom, boom, bap. When I play that beat, most people, they're going to start moving. That just is what it is. So it's that idea of moving. So, okay, fine. That's the symbolism. How does that apply when someone comes in with neck pain? Well, when someone comes in, you can tell how are they able to strategize in their life? How are their choices with their timing? Are they coming in with a very direct nature? Are they, and then I start looking at other aspects that relate to that green dragon, which is like thicker eyebrows, a more defined jaw, a really open third eye, coarse hair, like head hair is really coarse. Their tendons, you can see them on their limbs. So I start to see physically and also sense. And it's hard to really say exactly what I'm sensing. I, I try my best in both books. In the Treating Emotional Trauma book, I talk about spirit level diagnosis. In my shaman, shamanism and Chinese medicine book, I talk about spirit level diagnosis. And it's, you know, how, is, how direct is someone? How intense are they? Are they moving forward? Are they kind of the just do it kind of person? Are you sensing that? Are you sensing this strong hoon energy? Or are you sensing someone who's kind of meek? They can't make a decision. They're kind of cowering. Or maybe on the flip side, they're combative. And not necessarily combative with you, combative with their body. Like they're attacking their body. Say they're doing maybe abusing substances. Or they might have um, autoimmune conditions where they're attacking themselves. The hoon is out of balance. Maybe. I'm not saying anybody with autoimmune is hoon and balance. I'm not saying that, but that's something that would help me to start to feel their spirit. And I don't know if that's making sense. Is that, does that help? Yeah. Well, many things are coming up for me. So how comparable are the spirits? Well, let's particularly with the green dragon. How comparable is that to the element of wood? It's exactly the same. It's the same. Okay. So yeah. all the, everything that you're describing, and that's why I wanted to ask, because it's yeah. all very woody in nature. So by calling it the green dragon, are we, is there something else that we're tapping into with this perspective? Or is it wood by a different name? It's wood by a different name, but it's also, in my opinion, honoring that ancestral lineage that's passed through our medicine that sometimes doesn't get honored. Yeah. I'll be honest, Todd, when I told people I want to do a book on shamanism and Chinese medicine, all the lay people I told, oh, wow, this sounds awesome. Yeah. A lot of the acupuncture people I told, what? What are you doing? No, that's not Chinese medicine. How could you? This is the kind of response I was getting. Right. Now, of course, Singing Dragon, they're totally 100% behind me. And a lot of the people who you know I study with, like Master Wu, he's absolutely on board. He wrote the foreword to the book, and he allowed me to share a lot of this information that he shared with me. 
Um, Lillian Pearl Bridges, she also is on board. And some of my other colleagues, but there's been several colleagues who are, oh, what, this is crazy. And it's because there's been this divide that somehow happened in Neijing, in the Neijing, where people are saying, Neijing completely changed the medicine. It's a whole new medicine. It's not, there's no shamanism in it. The medicine has been practiced in China for thousands of years before Huangdi Neijing. Um, we know there's been indigenous medicine in the Sha and Shang dynasties. This is 4,000 years ago. Shamanism flourished. Okay, fine. So then there's this new medicine, quote unquote, new medicine. However, shamanism influenced both Confucianism and Taoism, which we know influenced a lot of the Huangdi Neijing. So there's threads of shamanism with our, within the medicine. The reason why I'm saying green dragon of the East is to remember that that green dragon energy, that energy that Fu Shi created with the Ba Gua, which we know the Ba Gua was the foundation of the Yijing. And the Yijing, people will pretty much say, yeah, that's part of Chinese medicine. Another, we know I Ching um, can be interpreted as shaman's book, by the way. Anyways, Fu Shi came up with a Bagua to differentiate nature, to differentiate the energies that we are connected to, which one of them will be springtime. That's that green dragon energy rising up. That's the, the plant sprouting through the ground that, yes, we've come to know as, say, wood. Wood energy. What's wood? It's liver and gallbladder and... You know, I don't know what, what some of the TCM stuff is now. I mean, it, 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 it all gets blended together. And you have to, I just, it's, a, it's more of like an honoring of that ancient way that has come through the medicine. Yeah. Well, and the passion when you talk about the green dragon, and of course the listeners here can't see your, <laughs> your hand movements and your enthusiasm, but I could just feel your passion for it as opposed for those few seconds when you started talking about the wood. It was just a lot flatter. So it works for you. So I think that's, that's incredible on that acknowledgement of the ancestral roots. And it's interesting, too, because as we're talking, one of the first things I said is I'm more familiar with shamanism and, and other cultures, but not China or Chinese medicine. And yet now it's coming back to me when I was traveling through Tibet. Of course, there's shamanistic practices everywhere. I mean, that's it's just part of the tradition. And so, I, yeah, I'm really I'm getting very excited about this. So you mentioned the Green Dragon. I think you said the Red Phoenix. Of the south, the southern okay, direction. So that's fire. Right. What else do we have? Then we have the earth, which can be represented by a couple different symbols. It can be the yellow bird. Okay. It could be yellow phoenix. It could also be the old woman matchmaker. <laughs> so the classical ancient way of looking at the five elements is with the earth in the center. You know, we typically see that generating yeah. cycle diagram with the earth is between fire and metal. Yeah. However, the earth is actually classically in the center direction. You know, that is something that can be represented by, like I said, the yellow bird or the matchmaker. It's harmonizing the other elements. It's harmonizing the other directions. And the ancient oracle bone character of shaman is the uh, carpenter square. So it's that, you know, that, that cross where the cross would be, you know, the four directions. And then the person in the center of that cross, that's the person, that's the earth element. And that is so that's the, the old woman matchmaker. That's the old woman matchmaker. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And the other two? And then we have the white tiger of the West. That's in the okay. Western direction. That's, yep. of course, the metal lung. And then the um, black turtle snake, which is what we really should have started talking about here. Uh, black turtle snake. And that is the kidney northern direction. 
And when you say that's what we should have originally talked about, why is that? Because in the ancient way, we're going to start with water as the first element. Okay. And, you know, that was, that's classically classical Chinese medicine um, is water's beginning. Now, a lot of times they say wood based on the, um, the flow of the channels that open on the pathway, okay. like the gene well. Mm -hmm. And what is a turtle snake? Or is it just a combination right. what, of the two? What <laughs> is that turtle snake? That was the question my son, my youngest son had. He's actually really brilliant. And he w helped me edit uh, it, some of the chapters in my first book, Treating Emotional Trauma. And he's just a brilliant kid. But he, you know, he's looking through the elements and looking through the animals I was talking about. He's like, what? Okay, I understand the dragon. I understand the phoenix. But what's this turtle snake? <laughs> turtle snake is two animals. It's not like a two-headed animal. It's two animals. But it's embodying that idea of the Mingman, the, 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 the kidney energy that houses both yin and yang. So the snake is very flexible like yang. However, the snake likes to be very still like yin. And the turtle has that very yang hard shell that is very soft within and hidden within. That's that yin within. So it's just turtle snake. Interestingly enough, Todd, a few years ago, there was a, a, some video posted on Facebook of a snake riding on a turtle's back. <laughs> like, whoa, check it out, turtle snake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just trying to figure out where to go here. Let's stick with the shamanism. Some of my questions might take us away from that a bit. I spoke earlier about your practice and how you're using the shamanism within, but are there larger, more convoluted rituals, retreat sort of things that you do or that some people do in the, in the area of Chinese shamanism? Okay, so for me, I study with Master Wu, and we do retreats. We do these week-long retreats where on the retreat, we wake up in the morning, we do tugunashi, that's that bringing in the energy of the different directions. Then we typically do some movement, qigong. Then we'll do lecture, talk about the I Ching. Then we'll do some divination. Then uh, have lunch. And then after lunch, maybe do more lecture and talk about, say, the different animal energies. And then do talismans. We'll, we'll get out our calligraphy brushes and do talismans. And then maybe later in the afternoon, do healing qigong on each other, where we use our hands do healing qigong on each other, or maybe we'll use our calligraphy brush. We'll do chanting, learn the incantations, and then in the evening do more lecture and then maybe do another qigong form, do a divination and go to bed. And that's over the span of waking up at like six or in the morning, going to bed at like 10 o'clock at night. And that's just an example. Now this is not the only approach for, but that's my experience. So when I work with Master Wood, that would be an experience of us holding that space and incorporating all the aspects of Chinese shamanism, Chinese culture, which included calligraphy, it included movement, it included meditation, it included sound therapy. It was all of this. And I think it's something that, why not incorporate it into your general clinical experience? Because you can draw on that powerful energy. So when I do my practice, yes, it's not going to be as involved in, as that, but that is more the more extensive situation with, when I'm studying with Master Wu. So where do you do these and who do you typically do them for? 
because I'm 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 wanting to sign up, but I'm just checking. Right. <laughs> so I would definitely go to Master Wu's website, Chinese Wisdom Traditions. So Master Wu, it's spelled um, Zhongxian. So Z H O N G X I A N Zhongxian, and then Wu W U. And he's the one who holds these retreats. I don't hold these retreats. Master Wu is doing these. I study under Master Wu. And so he holds these all over the world. Okay. He comes to West Coast, United States. He lives in Sweden right now, but he does them all over Europe. However, with COVID, it's a little more challenging, of course. Mm -hmm. So, but that is, uh, he does these. And I do teaching uh, virtually and I do these, I have a couple actual video courses on my website. If you, people are interested in Chinese shamanism, I have one class on spirit level acupuncture, how we can look at the different areas of the body and what spirits are represented there. Like where do we see the yellow bird on the fingers? What finger is the yellow bird, so to speak? And how does that work with point selection? And then I have another video class that is on general Chinese shamanism where I talk about sound healing and I talk about doing these shamanic Qigong forms and the symbolism. So there's those two video courses. People can check those out. And to, to let people know, I don't know when this is going to air, but I have a class coming up in October, October 24th, on teaching about the stems and branches and how we can differentiate the different segments of time and use those in our practices. And I, that's what I use when I do my acupuncture is I think, what month am I in? Okay, I'm in the month of the rooster. So I'm going to be thinking about rooster energy. It's also the stem of sheen, yin metal. And I select my channels based on what energy is open by the universe. Wow. This will be out by then. So I'll make sure that I oh, include great. that in the show notes and also Zhongshen Wu's website. Thank One you. more thing about the retreats. Are they for people who are coming for healing or are they more for practitioners coming for experience? It's actually for anyone. Okay. So at these retreats, what I think is great is that it's, you know, there are acupuncturists in the retreat. Yes. But there's people from all walks of life, people that have no Chinese medicine background whatsoever. And it's really open to everyone, which I think is really great. And in fact, to be honest, Todd, I really like when I teach my drumming classes, that's how it is. I have people from all walks of life. And when I do my face reading classes, same thing. I really like that dynamic of, I mean, I think like you said with your show, this show is not just for Chinese medicine practitioners, it's for all types of health practitioners. And I think it's nice because it opens a discussion and it brings these connections like you mentioned about Sri Lanka. Like there's other ideas that we can see as commonalities and it helps me to understand when I hear that thing about the elephants, okay, that makes sense. Like doing these acupressure um, points that, you know, who knows where they came from, but it's just that there's, people are utilizing that energetics in more than just, you know, one way, one, one mode. Yeah. And I want to learn a bit more about facial diagnosis. I'm not sure if this is the best. Well, let me ask before we do that, with these retreats, and with a lot of what you've been talking about, especially early on when you were talking about clearing the space and setting the intention, and I want to know more about the, I'm going to put you on the spot, about the personal work that you've done to harmonize your internal, your being, 
so that you are able to heal others? Because I'm, I'm going to take a, a big leap here and presume that you've worked on you've worked on you. You've done a lot of internal work so that you're able to help others. Absolutely. A lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears for that. Yes. So I, I've, okay. So I wrote that book on treating emotional trauma. I experienced a lot of emotional trauma myself as a young kid and then throughout my life. And I would say that I've done many things. I started learning about meditation in my early twenties that's what led me to Chinese medicine. I read a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh's books, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, yeah. and that led me to, you know, explore more of these like spiritual ways. And that got me into Chinese medicine. And I was always interested in the spirits, even in, when I first started studying back then. But what I would say for me, what the big thing was, was doing Qigong. I, when I did the Qigong, I've been doing Qigong, of course, through school. We all learned Qigong in school and I had many different Qigong teachers. And doing Qigong and doing my own internal alchemy, I would say that was one of the most important things. Of course, I've had acupuncture, I've had massage, I've um, had other healing modalities. I see healers, I have like medical intuitives that work on me. I have astrologers, Western and Eastern that work on me. I have many different types of people that help me. But for me, my own internal practice is Qigong. And I've got to say, I went through some severe trauma especially like 10 years ago. And I credit the master, master Wu's Qigong that he taught me and continues to teach me what really kind of saved my life in a lot of ways. And it was amazing for me to be able to stay centered and still continue to treat patients and work on myself and open up because to really work on a spirit level, that's why I started with the beginning of the show. I talked about cultivation is so important is to be able to cultivate on that level, you have to be able to build your Shen Ming. Shen Ming's your spiritual brightness. So for me to be able to feel energy, like do the spirit level diagnosis, you can say and you can teach someone these things, but to connect with that spiritual realm, you know, what another definition for what I think a shamanic-based practitioner is, is a pivot between the physical and spiritual. And they're connecting with the spirit and the spiritual realm to receive messages about someone's constitution, about their diagnosis, about the root of their disease. And the more cultivation you do, the clearer you are to that. And that's why I said, I do Qigong three times a day. Like, it's not like, oh yeah, I did these retreats and you know, did a month long of Qigong for six hours a day and now I'm all set for life. Like it's, you know, ongoing process. Right. I'm, I'm not amazed, but it's. I've, I guess there's been so many guests on the show who have credited Qigong as playing a large role in their life, from Dr. Martha Lucas to Lonnie Jarrett to Peter Dedman and you. And it seems like that's a common thread amongst uh, many of these very well-known practitioners and teachers is a regular Qigong practice. It's something that I try to cultivate. I'm very... <laughs> very poor at doing it consistently for yours you mentioned this morning routine are you doing the same qigong movements during that morning or do you have different forms that you're integrating in in the morning i do cosmic orbit qigong which is an actual form okay however um i am thinking a little bit differently based on what season i'm in when i'm doing it but it is a series of movements, so it just is what it is every day. Mm -hmm. And then Tugunashin 
Same thing, it's a series of forms, however you change it based on where you are. So right now, because we are in the western direction by the northern hemisphere, the, the Big Dipper handle is pointing west. We have to think about that heart of the universe. And so the first direction I bring in is the western direction. And then I go you know, on around the five elements of wheel. But then in the afternoon, I actually do different forms. I always do shaking Qigong after work to shake off any old energy and to really connect with that universal energy. But then I'll do different forms. I do a shamanic tiger form. When Master Wu just came out with a, a second edition of his tiger shamanic, shamanic tiger Qigong form. That's the name of the book, shamanic tiger Qigong. And I do that sometimes. Um, I've been doing that actually uh, a form of it, a talisman form, at least of it, every day since um, a year and three months ago, two months ago, because I knew we we're going into this lung time and uh, especially with COVID to keep my lungs nice and strong. The tiger represents, of course, the lung energy. Um, I also do a 28 lunar mansion form. There's a five element form. There's many forms Master was taught me and taught on this note. Like I, I'm not perfect. I've definitely missed my Qigong. Um, not in this last year and, and two months because I've, there's a special year I'm cultivating for, but other years, I have not, I've, some days I miss it. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but I, this last year I have really made a dedicated effort. Um, but I try to mix up the Qigong that I'm doing too and, and switch it up because, you know, you want to see what Qigong forms working for you. So Master Wu teaches me these forms, teaches all, all of us, all our students, these forms. He says, okay, now you've learned the form. Go home and practice it 49 days in a row. After that 49 days, you see if that form works for you. If it doesn't, throw it away. You know, find a form that works for you. There's no magic form that's like the best. It just depends on what's going to work for you. And so for all the forms that I've taught and I teach to people now through Master Wu, um, I've done these forms for 49 days. But there was one form that I was doing. It was a sitting dragon form. And I was on day 41, I think. And I missed it. And I had to go all the way back to the beginning and start on day one. So that was a real drag. But yeah, you know, it's, there is, a, just on a side note, this is kind of a little slightly, maybe slightly off topic, but there's a, there's a condition called orthorexia. Have you heard of this condition? I don't know. It sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. I know you've heard of anorexia and bulimia. Yes. Of course. So orthorexia yes. is, is, it's basically talking about someone who is so perfect. They eat the perfect organic food. They get the best okay. king water or whatever. They do this certain exercise every day, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> They're so perfect that they actually lose chi. Okay. So I got into that role about 12, 13 years ago where I was like trying to be so perfect. And my teachers were like, whoa, you need to loosen the screws here. Like you're getting way too perfect. So I had to return to some of my rock and roll roots. So those people, some of those out there know that I'm also a rock and roller. I know by what you're seeing on the screen, Todd, you would never guess it. <laughs> I still play in a pretty wild punk rock and roll band. Dude. But I, yeah, I have to have that wild side. And that's why I brought drumming into my clinic because I'm a right. drummer. I was like, how can I integrate this? But so I want to say that too, like not just Qigong, I'm going to credit. I'm going to also credit rock and roll. If you look in both my books, I credit my bands that I was in at the time. Um, my rock and roll friends, like to keep me loose, to keep me fun, to keep right. things where it's not so perfect. If you get so perfect, you lose chi. Yeah. And with that perfection, is that more of the loss of the white tiger energy? Is that the metal that you're losing? 
Um, you could say that the the metal does become very refined. So that's an interesting thing. I talk about this in uh, my Trina Emotional Trauma book, which for those of you who are interested in five elements, there's a section in chapter five about this that is once we've cleared the trauma, you know, we've cleared somebody's past trauma, their generational trauma, guess what? That's not like that's the end for them. We're humans. We're going to always be experiencing trauma. So how do we get those five elements, those energies to be strong within us so that when we have a future trauma, we don't get impacted as significantly? And I talk about the metal element. I talk about the metal element. It's about refining. But what can happen is you get so refined that you go to perfectionism and you become very idealistic. I have quite a bit of metal in me, so I can relate to this one. Like yeah. I just mentioned, that's one example. There's many examples in my life where I got very idealistic. I wanted the white picket fence and like all this <laughs> family thing. And that blew up in my face a few times. But the point is, is yes, the, the metal tiger can get so stiff that it just collapses. It's not, it's, you have to have that fluidity. So yes, that would be like a metal tiger example. All right, so I have a few more questions about the Qigong, but before we go there, I, I can't waste this opportunity to talk more about punk rock. I grew up <laughs> as a punk rocker. Earlier, I interviewed herbalist Peter Conway, who credited punk rock for a lot of his inspiration in, in his life. So I just want to go in there with you for a moment and hear more about your punk rock experience <laughs> and, and the music that you're, you're playing. Yeah, so ever since the mid 80s, I've been into punk rock and roll, Ramones, uh, Circle Jerks, Black Flag. I grew up in Los Angeles. I went and saw these bands. I didn't see Black Flag, but I got to see Circle Jerks and Bad Religion and X and all these kind of bands. And, you know, growing up as a teenager, I played punk rock. I was in punk rock and roll bands and then drummer, like I said, I played drums moved to Santa Barbara, still played in uh, punk rock bands. But then I started playing other music. I was like, oh, I'm going to try this other stuff, like indie stuff or emo or whatever. And, and I've done blues, I've done jazz, I've done country, whatever. But I always go back to punk rock. And I, when I graduated Chinese medicine school, when I was in uh, Chinese medicine school in San Francisco, I was in a pretty prominent punk rock and roll band. We put records out, toured, and we're on ripoff records, if you ever know, if you know what ripoff records is. But um, anyways, uh, but I graduated and I thought, uh Oh, I can't be punk rock and roller anymore. That's it. I'm, you know, moved to Salem. I kid on the way, starting to practice, had a house. I had to get serious. Like I can't be <laughs> rock and roll anymore. So I shut it down for two years and I literally went crazy. Like I kind of had this, we, where I live in Salem, Oregon, there's not that much snow, but every once in a while we'll get some snow. And this one winter we had the snowfall and then ice right after it. So it basically this ice, one inch layer of ice covered all the snow and just covered us in ice. And it was like this ultimate, like breaking through like the joy in, but I was like marching out to the coffee shop and I was like, like this sucks. I'm sorry. This is like the worst, like having to be, <laughs> having to be uh, you know, in this town, like what about my rock and roll roots? And I just, it's so bored here. And, I was going to this coffee shop and then I go to the coffee shop and the guy in the back's playing this rock and roll music. I'm like, Hey, what's up with this? And I started talking to him and, you know, he found out that I was in these bands and he heard of the bands and I was like, yeah, you know, I want to try to get a band going. And so we started a band and I started a band when my, uh, my youngest son was like two months old and I started playing rock and roll again and I haven't put it down. Well, I did one year, but otherwise <clears throat> kept it going again. 
And yeah, right now I play in a band called the Gung Ho Rats and <laughs> it's a full on punk rock and roll band. It's not like classic rock. We're not playing Eagles. We're playing like Motorhead meets Black Flag kind of thing. So that's, what's, that's what's happening. <laughs> so Todd, do you play music too? or? I wish that's some, that is a huge weakness of mine, my, my lack of rhythm. <laughs> so I've never been able to adopt anything. Although my, my seven-year-old and I are taking some guitar lessons together right now. So, awesome. but I, I love it. I love music, but I've just never been able to create any of my own, but. Aficionado. Well, here you are doing radio. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Qigong a bit. You spoke of 10 years ago, a significant trauma. You don't have to go into detail about that, but Qigong, you credit, is, is helping you through that. And I just want to find out, was that more from the emotional inner work that Qigong brings, or was that more from the physiotherapy outer work that Qigong brings that helped uh, you in that healing? I'd say both. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it really was me helping... Through Qigong, it's so connected. And this is, I get in a lot of debates about, you know, how can you differentiate Shen from Jing or from Qi? Isn't it all? It is all connected. It absolutely is. But there's a reason why they talk about three treasures because there is, there is some differentiation there where the Shen is that intention, your Qi is your breath, and the Jing is your movement. So doing these Qigong movements, it helped my spirit. Doing the intention of the Qigong helped my body. Because through that trauma, it wasn't this, it wasn't like a physical, it wasn't like in a car accident or anything like that. It was definitely more of an emotional trauma. However, emotions affect the physical body. We know this from the Neijing. I mean, this Absolutely. is obviously yeah, part of our so part of our medicine. That's why I say, you know, how can we separate shamanism from Chinese medicine? I just don't get that. But at any rate, that spiritual connection. So when that spirit hurt, it did affect my physical body. I didn't have anything necessarily like, you know, poor digestion or something, but my body wasn't as strong. My Po certainly wasn't as strong. My boundaries weren't strong. So by doing the Qigong, it built up my emotional well-being, my ability to stay calm, centered, grounded as best I could. And then my physical ability to be stronger, like stronger, yeah, maybe stronger muscles or stronger organs, but just having that energetic stronger, like the stronger energetic of the, the turtle snake and the stronger dragon, like this kind of thing. You spoke of you of your own personal trauma and i think you said a lot of uh, did you say ptsd for yourself personally you could call it that mm -hmm. okay and it i think you said that was one of the reasons why you wrote treating emotional trauma with chinese medicine is that correct kind of came from your own personal journey it did in a lot of ways like i realized how much chinese medicine helped me heal from deep wounds that weren't just from when I was in Chinese medicine school. This was like when I was a kid. Yeah. And I realized, wow, because when I, when I started studying Chinese medicine, I was always interested in the spiritual aspect. I was always into the emotional aspect. And so, of course, I went, you know, and found teachers to study that with. Lillian Bridges, Master Wu, <clears throat> and in some ways, Brian LaForge for the Shen Hammer Pulse uh, system. And my teacher... In a lot of ways, Dr. Wei Che Young, who teaches me tongue style, like Master Dong style acupuncture, mm -hmm. he talks a lot about the spirit in a roundabout way, so to speak. But at any rate, I realized, you know, I need to bring this information to Chinese medicine because I couldn't find many books on emotional trauma, to be honest. I found some books that talked about the emotions, some that talked about 
PTSD, but not really in a cohesive way that talked about the spirits, that talked about channel theory, that talked about how do we find point locations? How do we determine point prescriptions to help people navigate this trauma? So that's why I wrote the book. And I did weave in you no know, information about the spirit, but I have some very concrete information I learned from Dr. Wong about channel theory, channel selection, point combinations, and you know, hard information about you know, different diagnostics that you would see based on the differentiation of trauma. So I wanted to bring it all together because I had worked with all these different teachers and I was like, how do I bring in face reading with Qigong, with channel palpation, with pulse diagnosis? And I really felt like I could, that was one skill that I had was kind of bringing these different modalities together and how could they really function as a, as a whole unit. Yeah. I'm, Fascinated by Peter Levine's work with trauma. Are you familiar with him? Yes. And I did okay. quote, there's actually a few quotes in my book from his book. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. So one of his theories or concepts is allowing the body to shake off the trauma because often if we're in a state of, of fight, flight, or freeze, and, and we do end up freezing, that energy that would have been put towards fight or flight gets trapped in the body and actually kind of holds on to that trauma. And so I'm, when you talked about shaking Qigong, I'm wondering if that is a tool to help shake off some of that excessive traumatic energy that's been trapped within the body. Bingo. You hit the nail right in the head. That's exactly yes. And that's what I think helped me so much with my own personal trauma is we're doing shaking Qigong. We're shaking, we're, you know, doing this different shaking, we shake different joints. We are literally shaking that old energy off our body into Mother Earth, letting Mother Earth transform it. That's the Earth's job. At the same time as we're shaking, we're not only shaking off old energy, we're opening up those, those freezing, like you talked about, you can freeze, those walls of energy that we put up around ourselves. Well, I'm going to be this way and I'm going to be that way. We shake off these things that will cage us in, so to speak, to unite and connect with that universal energy so we're able to bring in that fresh, clear, universal energy, and that also helps to wash away that old trauma. Hmm. So much here, CT. So you're doing that shaking Qigong at the end of every day. Is that what you said after you finish your practice? I find it very helpful, yes. And so I'm not necessarily just thinking, oh, I'm going to shake off, you know, John Doe's this and Jane's this. I'm just shaking to clear myself because, you know, even just through the day, even if I, I still shake at the end of a, like a weekend, like I'm going to still shake today, but it is, yeah, I do that as just, it's like a ritual. It's a routine. When we do, when I work with master Wu, we usually, that's what we start before we do any Qigong form. We do shaking 30 minutes of shaking. Then we start our Qigong forms and it's just a way to connect to that universal energy. It's one approach. It's not the only, it's not the end all be all like the Qigong forms I talk about in both my books, they're just suggestions. It's just things you could try, see if it works for you. If it doesn't, try something else. But I have found that, yes, shaking is something that at the end of the day, just clear the energy. So I can be clear for my family, for myself, and just keep moving forward without, like you said, taking things on and then having them freeze or trap in the body. And for listeners who aren't familiar with Qigong or shaking Qigong, is there something they, is there a specific technique or form that needs to be done for shaking Qigong or is it as 
easy as shaking the body and moving around? Well, with Qigong, there's always many forms. There's many approaches. There's the approach I've learned from Master Wu. And there are different shaking forms. For example, some people like to shake and their head is bobbing down and they're just kind of like going loose like a rag doll. I would not say that would be the maybe the most maybe most powerful way to do it. If you keep your head upright, that would be a more appropriate way to do Qigong because you want to keep that connection with your spirit. When you bow your head and you lose that upright nature, you're losing your energy. You're losing that Qi connection to heaven. So that would be just an example. I mean, you can just shake your body. When we do shaking, when I look around the room for Master Wu, some people are just very still. It's just your intention of shaking. Some people are bouncing all over the place. Um, so there is different approaches to it. But I would say Master Wu would, would really recommend that you keep your head upright as you, you know, bounce up and down. And usually what I've seen Master Wu do is go from one foot to the other and find your shaking rhythm. You're not necessarily pogoing like, you know, from punk rock. We're not necessarily doing that. The mosh pit. <laughs> yeah, the mosh pit style. Uh, we're just going, you know, back and forth typically. I do, in both my books, I talk about the shaking form that I've learned from Master Wu in detail. And I had Master Wu read through all of my writings on his teachings in both my books to make sure everything was correct as best as I could get it. And, he's, and he had some, you know, adjustments and this kind of thing. So I feel it's a pretty good representation of if you're really interested to learn about shaking, you could look at that. You could also look on Master Wu's website. I think he has some videos on shaking maybe on YouTube. So, but yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's not incredibly complicated. I'll put it yeah. that way. But I just would want people's head to be upright. Yeah. And in Peter Levine's work, he talks about the the universality of shaking within the animal kingdom after a gazelle gets chased down by a lion and manages to escape by the slimmest of margins. Right. It has a bit of a shake off mm -hmm. and then it goes and prances back over with a herd and it's fine. Yeah. And as humans, we've for some reason gotten into this place where when someone is traumatized, especially if there's physical trauma, like an accident, we're strapped down. You're not allowed to move at all. And you're, you know, people who have been injured are, everything's immobilized and they're injected with drugs that further immobilize them. And so they go to the hospital and there's more trauma being added to the trauma and they're not able to process any of the trauma physically through shaking. So that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm going to check out Shaking Qigong. I've, I'm not familiar with it, but I'm going to be looking into that. And where it comes from, Todd, is really from the ancient shamans who would dance around the fire. This is what it, this is what mm. shaking originates from. So when we're doing shaking, yes, we're shaking our bodies, but in the old ancient times, shamans would dance. So I don't know if you've seen the character for Wu Shaman. It's the it's the radical Ren, the person Ren, two okay. people dancing around a pole, and that's the ancient shaman way is to dance to connect with that universal energy to connect with the spirit world. Mm -hmm. And this is what shaking is doing in a sense. And it's helping to, yes, free the body of these old traumas or old hurts or old blockages, stagnations, but it's also to connect with that universal energy. So in the old days, in the ancient times, it'd be drumming and shaking, I'm sorry, drumming and dancing to connect. And so now when I said like, you know, you're doing your shaking foot to foot, find your breathing rhythm that's the idea is where our body becomes like a drum. 
And so we're using our body as a drum, as a way to connect to that universal energy and the spirit world. Okay. Let's talk for a bit about facial diagnosis. What is it and how do you use it? Facial diagnosis is a key part of my practice. I use it for understanding someone's imbalances for their organs, what pathology is going on. I can see if somebody has arteriosclerosis going on in their heart. I can see if somebody has, um, say, like uh, maybe like inflammation in their heart, this kind of thing. I also use it to understand somebody's constitution. I understand their personalities. I under or their personality. I understand their past, present, and future. I can use it to for matchmaking to understand who's going to be a good match for them, either in business or for their like a romantic relationship. And it comes from my studies with working with Lillian Pearl Bridges. I've studied with her for several years, and she has a website. You can go to her website. It's Lotus Institute. She's an amazing face reader. She comes from a whole long lineage of face readers. She studied with her grandma and it just came down, down the lineage. And what she teaches is how to read the face in, for medicine, but also for these other aspects as well. And we can use that in our Chinese medicine practice, but you can use it in other ways in all walks of life, really. And she has a book out, Chinese Medicine, Facial Diagnosis in Chinese Medicine. Highly recommend it. I talk about facial diagnosis in both of my books, how I apply it with acupuncture. And I would say that for me, it's a great way when somebody walks through the door and they, I can already see, is that acid, re I don't even know they have acid reflux, but I can see some redness right underneath their nose. This means there's heat in the digestive system. They say, oh, I have acid reflux. Well, I already know it's due to stomach heat. We're going to want to do something to clear that heat versus somebody came in they say they have acid reflux and when they first came in, I saw some paleness and lines at their nose bridge, no redness underneath their nose. Well, that's more of a spleen deficient issue that's going on for their acid reflux. So you can tell things so fast. So that's why I believe I'm able to see people, three people an hour and still get to that depth, still understand not only what's going on with their organ imbalances and their channel imbalances, but understand their karmic path and how I can help them with their karma. Now, can you do a face diagnosis on anyone at any time? Are you, yes. Like, you see someone that's, because I, sometimes I'll see someone's tongue, whether it's on a photo or not in the media, I'll be like, whoa, there's some phlegm in there or something. So are you able to pick up on that pretty much instantly with anyone who you're working with or seeing or communicating with? Anyone who's given me that energetic okay so I don't just walk down the aisle in the grocery store and start this. <laughs> um, I do it specifically for those people who've said yes. I can, they are allowing that spirit connection. There right. is that transition connection. But yeah, absolutely. And you can see so much about someone just from a quick glance at their face. But I will say even more importantly, it's watching how the face changes when you're doing your intake or when you're just talking with someone. You'll see their shen change. And I talk about this extensively in my book. And in fact, a lot of schools have me come and talk. I talk at the school in Boston about this, just patient interaction. And there's going to be a book coming out actually soon, uh, but I have a chapter in it talking about patient interaction and reading the Shen and watching the Shen on someone's face, watching a shadow go across the eyes or their eyelids narrow 
when you come across a topic that's a really hot button issue, you can understand more of what's going on for that person. What is trapped? Like you're talking about those traumas. What is charging that um, fight or flight response? What's causing that freeze in the body? And it's pretty amazing. So the face, I mean, I love looking at the tongue. I love feeling the pulse, but I will say the face is so dynamic. I like looking at palms too. I know a little bit of palm reading, but the face is such a dynamic thing that you can, in milliseconds, you can understand things just by watching somebody's uh, reactions to questions that you have. Can we do a little bit of it now? Can I give you the energetic okay? Sure. Can you see my face well enough? I can see it. Yeah, you have to do good without the glasses. Thank you. Yeah. So do you want me to just tell you some things about your face? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> so the first thing I see is this great forehead. You have what's called the recombinant forehead. Um, your forehead's very prominent for you in a way that it's not rounded up and down, which is interesting, but it's rounded side to side. You see how it's more cylindrical going from the sides to the front? Do you see that? I don't know if you can see it. I don't know if you can see your picture. You can see your picture. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually going to change the view here so I can see myself better. Yeah. yeah. So you, okay. We call this the recombinant forehead. Now, by the way, this is all from the Lillian Pearl Bridges facial diagnostic lineage. There's many face diagnostic lineages out there. They're going to be different. I, uh, when I study with Dr. Wei Che Young, he does facial diagnosis, but it's completely different mapping them from Lillian. So I just don't listen to that part of his lecture. Not that it's bad. It's just a different lineage. I don't want to mix lineages here, just like with the pulse, learn one lineage. So I'm talking about Lillian's lineage right now. Okay. This is a recombinant forehead. So what this means is you're able to combine information together, just like you were talking about that Sri Lanka thing. And how does it relate to the Tibet and the Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic? That's a perfect example of you being able to bring information together. So we call that recombinant. That's why I think you're a perfect host for something like this. You're talking to all these Chinese medicine practitioners. We're all so incredibly different. We practice such different styles, yet you're able to communicate and interact with them in a, in a heady way in some ways, if we could say that, because we're talking, over the, we're talking over the internet, podcasting, and you're able to bring that intellectual information and bring it together. So that is something I see that's um, one of the first things that jumps out for me. I also see your very strong nose. This is a very strong Po, which means you have the ability to hold your boundaries. And I've been watching you this whole time, not in a face reading way, but just like <laughs> to see like, okay, what's going on? You know, is this resonating? But I can tell you hold yourself in a very strong composed way, which I think really lends itself great for a podcast because you get us Chinese medicine practitioners on here talking about everything from punk rock to shaking to doing the green dragon drum drumming. Like this is all over the place, but you're able to hold that space. I think for all us different practitioners to be able to keep it grounded in a lot of ways and to help guide us. I felt you guiding me when I was starting to talk a little bit too much about each animal in each direction. You're like, okay, what's the next animal before I go off on some 10, you know, two hour tyrant on this thing, tirade on this. So at any rate, I can see that too. I also see that you have a lot of friends. So how I can tell that is by your eyebrows. You have these great eyebrows. So the eyebrows are the leaves of the tree. We talked about the wood element, right? Of course, we all know about wood. Wood has the roots, which is the jaw in Lillian's lineage. And the eyebrows are the leaves of the tree. So I can tell for you, you can deal with some toxins. You can drink a few beers. It's going to be okay for you. You're able to take herbs. You know, when I look at someone, 
they have no eyebrows and they haven't been plucking their eyebrows for a few months, they better, if you're going to do herbs, you better dose them at a low dose or forget herbs altogether. You know, somebody comes in with low eyebrows, I don't want them doing any cardio. I don't want them uh, taking herbs. I'll probably use flower essences instead. And I want to make sure they're doing things like yoga and they're not having too many toxins in their life. We want everybody to have less toxins, but especially those folks. You're someone who, like I said, you could take herbs, you can do these things, but your eyebrows also go out past your um, outer canthus. And so this means you have a pretty strong gallbladder, which is great. You have the good decision-making. Um, I'm glad you chose me for your podcast. I'll put that in the mix. <laughs> um, but you also have a lot of friends. Why? Why does that mean that? Like, why would that even possibly mean that? It means you have the ability to receive help. You have the ability to receive when people are giving you information. You're going to receive this from me. I think it's awesome. I know what I'm saying to you is going to stick with you and you're going to receive it. Some people, they just, they're not ready to receive. They're not open to it. But I can tell by your eyebrows, you're going to receive this help. And um, it's, just, it's just part of that. So these are some things that I can see about when I look at your face. And that's, you know, just a quick snapshot. So you've said some good things. Is there a bad thing? Well, this is, when I do my face reading, like all of us in Chinese medicine, we always try to zero on what's wrong. What's wrong with the situation? <laughs> what channel has the, 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 the nodules in it? What's, you know, what's, that, what's the pulse that's not strong? What is that? What's that, that, that coating on the tongue? Like this kind of stuff. Yes. And that's just human nature. We're always searching out for what's off, what's out of balance. What I've learned from Lillian is about helping someone to see positive aspects about themselves, to love themselves. And then yes, weave in those things where there might need to be a challenge, things that we might want to have them work on. So yes, I can definitely see things that we might want to help with on your face and we could talk about that too, but I, I usually, you know, I do my face readings. Like I do a lot of face reading virtually, by the way, especially with COVID. I I'm started doing a lot of virtual teaching, a lot of classes online. And then people are like, well, I want to learn more about that. So I have people and I do face reading. I also do mentoring. I do a mentorship. I've mentoring students in Indonesia, Singapore, we do one-on-one -on -one mentoring, but then I also do face reading. And I usually take, I teach my students. I want them to first open the face reading with positive things. And then start, because first of all, I want you to see, is this guy legit? Like, am I legit? I know that your spirit can tell what I'm telling you is real and is true. So your spirit becomes more open to what I have to say versus me just saying some things that are like maybe some generic, you know, canned response. Wait, this guy, this is not for real. Forget about it. Your spirit closes down. Then you're not receptive. You're not going to want to hear what I have to say to help balance you and help bring more balance to those different organs in your body. And so I think that's really important. So I really want to open with the positive things. Um, so that's why I do that. Is there a deficiency that you can pinpoint? I'm just keeping you on the hook here. Okay. So if, you, if you're going to ask me, I will tell. Yeah, um, please. <laughs> so there is a sign. And first of all, you look very healthy. So that's, I'm, I'm just kind of nitpicking at this point. Okay. I'm just trying to find what can I see? Underneath your eyes, there's the area there for all of us by Lillian's lineage that represents that black turtle snake. It represents the kidneys. It represents how fluid is flowing through the body. Now, a lot of people, like almost all of us, like you look at my under my eyes, there's a little bit of darkness there. This means that the water is not flowing as much. Maybe I didn't sleep so good last night or I've been up late or who knows what, you know, this kind of thing. We look for the color. So from the Neijing, we know about color. When it's black or dark, that's more stagnation. 
When there's redness, that's more inflammation. When there's yellow, that's more putrefaction. The fluids aren't being transformed. Under your eyes, I don't really see many colors. I'm, you know, I'm trying my best to look because we zoom, it's hard to see as very clearly. However, there's a little bit of swelling underneath your eyes. This is what's called unshed tears. So what I would ask for you is when I do trauma treatment, we look at the different emotions, of course. And with grief, we don't go digging for grief. I don't want to go to really bring up somebody's grief. But if grief comes up, I want them to know there's a green light for them to cry, to shed those tears. So I would just say for you that, you know, if you have a moment where you feel like, gosh, I just, I feel that sadness, let it go would be good. You could also do things like I would talk about nutritional seaweed. This is helpful to move that fluid. Deep uh, leafy greens, steamed leafy greens, deep greens. This will also help. Mineral soups like clear broth soup. I have a soup recipe in my trauma book that I talk about that I have every morning. It's basically root vegetables and some organs, and that helps to move those fluids. So that's just something that, that was an example. I can see that. And um, there might be a grief that needs to let go. Now, this is a great time of year for that. This is the white tiger of the West time of year. We're almost finished it up. You know, October 7th about is when we're going to change back to the earth energy. But this is a time to let that go. So, you know, you could try some shaking later and just like see if that energy wants to release. You could do, um, you know, some acupuncture. There's some points that I might consider, you know, like lung five, kidney seven. It's a great point combination that Dr. Wong taught us to really help with regulating that lung energy, benefiting the um, water, benefiting that, um, sorry, the, the um, turtle snake. So yeah, you could do something like that potentially. I haven't checked your pulse or so I'm just throwing ideas out. Like this is just very much on the fly. To do a real diagnostic workup, I need to do a little more talk, but that's just the beginnings. I love it. That's great. Thank you so much for doing that and for allowing me to put you on the spot a bit. You're welcome. <laughs> the eyebrows. So is it like the thicker, the better? Or is, as with everything, too much on either extreme is, is indicating a lack of harmony, potentially? Here's the deal, Todd. There's no good or bad sign on the face. Somebody with thin eyebrows, that's not bad. They're going to they're gonna get along with people really easily. They're going to be kind of more of the go-the-flow style. They can be um, directed, so they could be really good working in a group. They might be really good as working like in cubicle land. That's great for them. We need those folks, right? People with a really thick unibrow kind of eyebrow, those people need to move that liver. They need that combative energy. They need that exercise. These are the front line men, you know, football. We need football players, right? So this is like that. It doesn't mean everybody with thick eyebrows needs to play football. It just means they need to use that liver, either in a commanding way, like as a leader, um, lots of strong exercise, physical athlete, maybe, you know, being on the, you know, on the floor at the wall street, you know, doing, you know, trying to sell those stocks. It doesn't matter, but that is that strong wood energy pioneers. Look at some of the um, ancient pioneers, some of these strong women who pioneered for women's rights, pioneered for equality. They had a lot of strong eyebrows. They had to have that fight to be able to fight for something. So there is no good or bad sign. And that's why I love Lillian's lineage is because in a lot of other lineages, I've seen judgmental. Oh, that's the good forehead. That's the good nose. Lillian, there is not like that. It is what it is because everybody brings a different gift to the family. And I love to believe that <clears throat> always. Like 
help someone understand their gifts. Like I was mentioning some of your gifts that you're utilizing, which is great. I like to see you on your path. I keep mentioning this karma stuff because that to me is the highest level of Chinese medicine. It's helping someone with their karma. Yes, we want to first do no wrong. We want to help somebody's knee pain. Yeah, we want to help their underlying constitutional imbalances. But I think the highest level, and there's a lot of spiritual teachers who will talk about this. Um, not that I'm a spiritual teacher. I'm just saying, want to help someone change their karma. And I believe that is something that can happen. So by helping somebody understand their gifts, getting on their path, Lonnie Jarrett talks about this nourishing destiny, helping someone get on their direction, making sure that they're doing their gifts, they're bringing their human gifts to human family, their gifts to human family. This is what I believe Chinese shamanism does. And I really see it utilizing those ancient symbols, those ancient methods to help someone fully live up to their potential, to fully do what they were put on this planet for. And that's how I use Chinese shamanism, along with facial diagnosis and along with all these spiritual-based techniques. How is cosmetic augmentation or enhancement affecting the ability to do facial diagnosis? It does change the energetic in a way. Here's an example. I had a facial student. So I study with, I study with Lillian, and then now I teach with Lillian. We teach this, and I don't teach as much. She's mainly doing it. It's a master's face reading program. You can go to her website and check it out. We have all these students, and there's this one student in there who had done lip injections, and he really didn't like his thin lips, so he wanted to get thicker lips. His partner has uh, thicker, fuller lips. Since he got those lip injections, they got along better. Interesting. <laughs> so he also became more earthy. This is the earth. The mouth represents the earth. So by getting those injections, it enhanced his earth. So it enhanced that earth element. So it was just an interesting connection how that happened. Now, Botox might not be the, the best option in the world because like if you inject Botox into this third eye area, this is the wood. This is your wood area. This is your third eye. It's your ability to see the forest of the trees, to have that perception. Well, you've now just shot Botox, which basically is putting this freeze and freezing that ability to have your third eye open. So I'm not saying Botox is bad. I'm not saying cosmetic enhancement is bad, but it does change the energetic. So interesting, like that guy shot, did the lip injections. He became more earthy. So what happened? He could put a little weight on Oh, I don't like that. Well, you know, it's kind of, it goes hand in hand. It kind of goes with that. But yet he got along better with his partner. You know, we look at certain areas of the face to let us know, you know, are these people a good match? You know, are these, it would be a more harmonious match. I'll put it that way, more harmonious match. So yeah, the cosmetic can shift things around. So the person with a thick unibrow who's combative, can they pluck? And potentially that's going to change that nature? If the eyebrow hair doesn't grow back, then then maybe, but usually the eyebrow hairs are going to grow back. And I don't want to say that unibrow means combative. It, that is one energetic. It's also yeah. a fearless leader. It's someone who is a pioneer, someone who uh, will fight for what they believe in. So it's all these things, but yes. Um, so some women and men, they pluck their eyebrows. They don't grow back. Well, then that's it. Like they've changed. That's a whole new constitution for their eyebrows. Really? They start growing back then it's they've just gone back to what their original is so yeah that's that's crazy as, as you said with the lips how that can have a constitutional change and so mm -hmm. from regular plucking of the eyebrows or reshaping them is it what if it's someone who religiously 
plucks, I can't believe we're talking about this now, but someone who religiously plucks their eyebrows every day, so we don't know if they're necessarily growing back or not, is that going to keep them in a different kind of constitutional range? Well, you could ask them. Usually they're going to know if their eyebrows are going to grow back. They can okay. see them. They're going to pluck about the same amount of time, but it's not going to change. So there's this thing called the cortisone eyebrows. This is where the eyebrow has kind of like a, a half moon arc. Yeah. Um, I kind of have it on my left eyebrow. Um, so this is an eyebrow that means you can deal with difficult people. It's a very common shape. So a lot of people shape their eyebrows. They shape them in that cortisone shape. Okay. However, if their eyebrow does regularly grow back, they really aren't that way, but they're projecting to the world that they can deal, deal with the difficult people. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of this thing that we do to project to the world. Like there's difference, there's a right side and left side of our face yeah. and what we're projecting to the world and what's really truly there. So there's so much depth of face reading and um, it's a, it's a, it's a study that's, you know, a lifelong study for me, certainly, but it's hard to say everything, you know, this, in this podcast time, but yeah, there are those changes and those shifts that can happen. It's just, if that change sticks, then it can energetically shift that organ system and that organ energetic. And since you have that cortisone eyebrow half, does that mean you can better deal with half the problem people or you can well, deal with people uh, half the time? It's a good question. So the left side is what you truly are. Your right side is what you're projecting. My right eyebrow is more of what we call coach's eyebrow. So I project that I'm more of a coach, but I'm really more of a hands-off person. So that's just, you know, when you look at the face, barely anyone is symmetrical. It just, uh, but what it's truly in is I have, have, I do have the ability to deal with the difficult people, but I probably don't want to attract difficult people. So I'm not projecting that I do that. So Although yet I still attract them anyways. But yes, the <laughs> bottom line is uh, that is more the right side or left side of the face. So are you, the questions keep coming, sorry, but with the symmetry, mm -hmm. I guess when you're doing facial diagnosis, you're looking at each side and looking at the differences between each side. Now, if we were to take a mirror image of the left side of your face and, and complete that with your making your right and left being the left side of your face, would you then have an appearance of being more able to deal with difficult people because you would have that cortisone eyebrow on both sides? Yeah, and I'd be projecting it. So people would, would believe when they see me, we just tend to look at the right side of people's faces. And this is, um, so at any rate, um, yeah, people would see that and think, oh, they would have that sense. This is more like a hidden, like it's hidden, huh. this cortisone thing is hidden. So did you yeah. did you say we typically look at the right side of people's faces? We typically look at the right side of face. Interesting. Why is that? I forgot. Lillian has it in her book. Sorry, and that's <laughs> I okay. Don't remember, but it's look, read it. There's some scientific study that they did. The scientists okay. where they, it was like people always focus on the right side. So that's just interesting, and that's how this facial lineage understood that. And we look in that, so we can tell what someone's real, what, what's really going on inside someone, you know, right. versus what they want us to believe. I just saw, I just did face reading for somebody yesterday where their right side of their face was falling, but their left side of their face was up. They're projecting that they're sicker than they really are. Hmm. And we got to the root of why is that? Why are they projecting that they're sick when they're really not sick? And we figured it out. But, um, you know, there's just all sorts of things you can look at. So when I, I often take part in men's retreats and do men's work, and typically in those when we're making eye contact with another individual, we're looking into the left eye. Is that because we're trying to see the more true person versus the projection? I would that assume a, that. Is that a possibility? 
Yeah, I bet the facilitator is trying to really help you connect on that more personal, deep level. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know who, who facilitates those retreats, yeah. but I would, that would make sense to me because that really Somewhere is- along the lineage that got passed along to left to left. <laughs> right. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So much. I feel like we could keep going, but I am aware that you've, <laughs> you've been on here for a while. So I thank you for that CT. Uh, your books, Treating Emotional Trauma with Chinese Medicine, Shamanism and Chinese Medicine. I think we have the first one in our bookstore at Pacific Rim College. I'm going to be getting both of them in for sure. And where can people find those books otherwise? So for those in the United States, you can buy it on my website if you want me to sign it for you. It's a discount. Um, I do have it available for Canada, but the shipping is so expensive. So uh, Amazon has it uh, both in, you know, Northern um, North America and also in, in Europe, China books for Australia, people in Australia, you can get it through China books. You can also go to singing dragons website and they have the book there. Great. And as far as your website, what is the domain again for that? It's redwoodspring.com. Okay. And it's so singular, redwood spring. I love the redwoods. That's like, for me, that's like a, very sacred place and spring is like that spring of energy. So Redwood spring and on there, I, yeah, I have the book for sale. I have mentorship for sale. I have uh, the courses. You can, you can buy video courses, recorded courses. And then there's my schedule for the next events I have coming up. Like I said, I'll be teaching a class on stems and branches, October 24th. It'll be 9 AM to 1 PM Pacific standard time. The class will be recorded. So for those of you who buy the course, you'll also get the recording afterwards. It also has the notes and all this kind of thing. Great. Well, CT, this has been amazing. I would love to have you come to Pacific Rim College once we are out of somewhat of a lockdown and we can travel again. Uh, what you have to offer is so incredible and interesting, and it's gotten me very excited, and I'm definitely going to look into the retreat. So thank you for for coming on and talking about your work and for sharing all of this with the listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much, Todd. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being vulnerable for the face reading. I think that's really good for people to see and how it goes interactive wise. That was great. And I really appreciate you and Pacific college for, you know, wanting to talk about shamanism. I, I'm grateful for that and uh, for all your wonderful questions. And I would love to come to Canada. That'd be great to go up there and, and teach. So thank you so much. I've had a great time today. It's my pleasure. Thanks again, CT. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with CT Holman. If you want to learn more about CT and his work, visit redwoodspring.com or check out his books on his website or in the Pacific Rim College bookstore. You can also register for his Stems and Branches course, a live online course, on October 24th. If you are interested in studying Chinese medicine, Pacific Rim College's School of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine is a leading school in Canada offering three, four, and five-year programs. Enrollment spaces do fill quickly, so apply early to avoid disappointment. Visit PacificRimCollege.com for more. If you are looking for online education in Chinese medicine and Qigong, explore the amazing course offerings at PacificRimCollege.online. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, find a harmonious rhythm and let it cultivate healing within you.